you plug and it's all plugged in and everything? It's all plugged in. Let, let, it, let, us, let, us, let us pray for a moment that it works. Oh, internet gods, please work for us. Thank you very much. Dear God, how silly are we, right? Hello. Hello. Two for one. I am, I can't believe as Scott that I'm the one without a glass. <gasps> oh, do we have to just hang up on you now? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my goodness. Here I am. Love it. It's worked out great. Guess what? COVID. Hey, pandemic living. Uh, We're not going anywhere. It's okay. No, <laughs> no we don't seem to be. Although you, you might have read the news today. Um, we got it first thing this morning. Uh, one of the newspapers in Berlin carried the news that uh, the Senate has now backtracked on its whole issue with choral singing and singing in uh, closed spaces. Uh, I think there was so much, so many protests uh, from so many Berlin choirs and singers uh, that they they have now agreed to this. So it really will mean that. I mean that's. Um, Sort of small, small mercies for, for us here in the States or in North America, but uh, um, Germany really has gotten its act together. And when I go back in August, I, th I think we will be able to do some, all but, albeit limited performances. And so we're, we're aiming uh, to, it's a decision we'll have to take in the next two or three days, but we have a part two of the ring, Die Valkyrie, right. which is scheduled for the end of September. And uh, we did this small Rheingold uh, back in end of June. It's a, a version that uh, Graham Vick for his Birmingham company mm -hmm. made. Uh, Jonathan Dove, this incredibly talented Brit who's both composer but also arranger. Anyway, he scaled a, an 85-piece orchestra down to 22. So we were out. Uh, and you know the Deutsche Oper, you probably don't remember this rather, this quirky part of it, but it's, it's, um, it's just the nature of the building that it has this kind of quadrangle in the middle, mm -hmm. which the upper part of which is the parking garage. So we, um, and part of it is covered over because large pieces of scenery are stored there when they're not needed on stage. And of course, just to weatherproof them, there's a cover, there's a, there's a roof. So we put the orchestra there, we built a, a Podesta, uh, what's the word, platforms out um, to cover part of this parking deck. And that's where we did this. We called it Kleingold, you know, the small Kleingold. <laughs> instead of Rheingold. And we, yeah, we had, and it really was, I mean, it's, it's, we're rather proud of the fact, but this wasn't in order to, to, you know, have the, or, or this, this wasn't to be competitive, as you can imagine, but we were the only place in the world that you would have heard Wagner at the end of June. The only place in the world. Wow. So anyway, part two of that, I'm sorry, this is a Wagnerian story because, you know, Wagner's long, so I will go on for a few more hours. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. Uh, no. <laughs> all right. It's drink up, ladies. I'll do the talking, you do the drinking. It's great to see you. No, that's it. Hey, oh, it's go. great to see you. Anyway, we are planning to do the original Die Valkyrie uh, with Stefan Herheim, the director, 
uh, we will postpone the Rheingold until the end of this season. And we plan on going ahead with the full-scale uh, Die Rheinkure on the 27th of September. And we haven't given up on that. Cool. So put that next to where we find ourselves in North America, and it's, uh, it's wow. quite, quite a contrast, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, out, I'm actually out on our deck. I sort of dashed home and just set this up. So I'm sorry the lighting's not great. But, it's beautiful. Uh, we, we're in, well, we're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, the only thing that could come between us is a, uh, a large moose or else. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was uh, who was it? Oh, yes, it was with the ASO, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And I had this war room, as we call it, uh, war zoom. Um, on Monday, and it was really rather funny because both both uh, both myself and somebody else on that Zoom call uh, had to excuse ourselves because uh, there was this phenomenally loud uh, lawnmower lawnmower going past, and we were just had this vision of it's because somehow it's national. You know, how you listen today's national. Um, let's drink a bottle of Scotch Day or. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this um, this felt like National Lawnmower Day. Anyway, this is yes. Welcome to Good. Jackson Hole, Wyoming. How is it you guys getting from from Berlin to Jackson Hole too? Oh, Sandra, we 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 came for. Of course, some people thought you're going where. What are you doing? Uh, but we one of course we still intended to salvage some of the the Grand Tito Music Festival. Two, uh, this is our summer home. I mean, we live here. This is not a rented place. We, mm -hmm. It's our summer home. And uh, also just for reasons that I have a green card and you know, uh, things are a little scary in America at the moment when it comes to these sort of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we thought, yeah. And we also, this, this was an important part of the decision. Julia, our 15-year-old, mm -hmm. is crazy about horses. And of course, this is just horse heaven. Yeah. And uh, therefore, she uh, she desperately wanted to come here. And uh, so we thought, well, yeah, um, let's do it. And uh, she's been riding every day, and she just took part. Uh, it was very cute last Sunday in her first competition ever, and she came in with the second prize. And cool. No, she oh, she she'd move here in a heartbeat. She awesome. just absolutely loves it. Anyway, so for all those reasons, we thought, all right, we're going to go. But the, the uh, journey, as you can imagine, was just uh, epic. <laughs> it was epic. It was stressful because there were more connections because of fewer flights. Right. right. So, so we read online that the Grand Tetons is, is going on virtually. Mm -hmm. Yes, we, uh, we had a plan A, plan B, and a plan C. And we found that, uh, as you can imagine, that they were all reacting to this very fluid situation. Uh, initially, we wanted uh, an orchestra of around 34 people to come, as opposed to 230 musicians throughout the summer. Um, but that just became less and less likely as it became more and more clear, not just with the spike in uh, COVID cases in Wyoming, but also just it would have appeared tone deaf. If uh, you know people were being encouraged to stay at home, keep your distance, blah blah blah, and then you, you know, albeit the distances were all measured, it would have uh, complied with uh, all the, the distances that you need to maintain. 
But we just thought, no, this is, and bringing a lot of people in, what happens if somebody gets sick? Who is ultimately responsible? In addition to which, we're in a very, very, albeit precious, but very small uh, town. And the, the hospital could so easily, so easily be um, just overwhelmed. Yeah. So we scaled it back, and even with 19 musicians, we felt at the moment uh, that's too many. So we've, nevertheless, we have a number of musicians from the big orchestras who have their summer homes here. Okay. So they happen to live here. Okay. And we're bringing a couple of soloists in. Mm. Uh, I can't tell you yet who these soloists are, just because okay. there will be a press release about it. Okay. But they have... Uh, one of, those, one of them is driving because they don't want to take any risks mm -hmm. with flying. And yes, we will over six or seven days, we'll do a lot of recording, not just in the hall. It will all be streamed. It will all go out a week later. Um, but there are, as you can imagine, many beautiful places, backdrops. We'll take a video with us. You have to go hiking here. And we have a couple of mountain goats in our orchestra. <laughs> so we'll, we'll let them lead the way. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to put little programs together. Uh, you know, we're not dead yet. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's hard though. It really is hard. It's difficult it's, some days. It right. is hard. So how, how did your connection with Wyoming start? I mean, you, you obviously weren't born there. <laughs> well, I thought the hat was... way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, ca I first came here, Sandra, it was in 2005 when I, I'd often heard about this festival and a number of San Francisco opera musicians, of which I was the music director at the time, came here and said, oh, Maestro, you have to conduct here sometime. And I was in London, I was in Salzburg, I was in Bayreuth, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in other words, I was far more in Europe. and I. I thought, all right, well, I'll make it work one year. So I went, I came, uh, something really rather extraordinary happened uh, between myself and the orchestra. Uh, and rather serendipitously, uh, they were in the midst of a music director search. And I think the powers that were um, thought, well, Ronicles will never give up the, the European connection and you know, the summer festivals there. So what, actually just one of the, the orchestra manager <clears throat> uh, came in. You might even know him, Sandra. Richard Brown is in Houston. He's yes. the, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, he's not, he's not known for his tact or for, for his reticence. Uh, he just, <laughs> barged, <laughs> just barged in one day into, and said, hey, this is pretty amazing. Uh, you wouldn't like to become music director, would you? And I think he was expecting some, oh, it's wonderful, I love you, but no. And I thought to myself, because I just experienced three or four days with this unbelievable orchestra, you know, that comes from all the big orchestras. And I said, you know, I could consider that. So anyway, uh, I was appointed music director and my first season was in 2006. And it just, it just, it literally happened that quickly and my manager thought I was nuts. Uh, <laughs> but what, you know, why on earth would you give up all these other things? And said, Jonathan, get, get out here, get out here, experience this. And he came out and he was um, as wooed and beguiled as I was. 
and uh, I, I'm just personally so sorry, Sandra, it didn't work out this year, but we will most certainly have you back because it really is, uh, it, it, it defies logic in that you're bringing so many people together from so many different orchestras where you'd think, well, what about the sound? You know, what about this feeling of the actor react together? Mm -hmm. But within days, and this I experience on a weekly basis normally, within days, there's this alchemy that just, just forms before your eyes or ears. And it's one of the world's great orchestras. And I get to be, you know, I didn't, didn't make this orchestra great. I, I, I have a terrific relationship with them. Um, but that, so that's why I'm, I'm still here. And that's one reason uh, we bought a place here as a, as a summer home. And uh, it's, it's, it's hardly a hardship being here, even in, in these <laughs> surreal times. Sure. Well, I'm sure the population isn't super large either. So, and you have isolation there out where you are, so you can take precautions and, and be safe, I'm sure. It's not like you're in downtown Nashville or New York or something. No, like no, that. no. I mean, people, I mean, I was, as I told you, I was in town earlier on, and people are being generally very vigilant and obedient about masks. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're, this, this is an extraordinary part of the world. And you know, behind many of these large, uh, small forests of aspens, you, there are some extraordinary homes where people naturally have half their distance. And in those homes live some of the most influential people in this country. We just don't hear about it because that's why they live here. They don't want you to hear about it. But, and so many of them are, and that's the reason uh, the festival in some ways, well, in a very real sense, one of the reasons the festival was built up was because so many people who had second homes coming from New York or Los Angeles or even from London or places like that, Atlanta, they were very happy to get away from the big urban centers for the summer, but they did want to miss their music right. so that's why they created uh, this festival and it's now gosh how many years is it well next year is the 60th uh, anniversary 60th we're, we're just in the midst of as you can imagine is to what extent do we try to salvage what we would have had this year right and put it into next year but then again there were commitments already which we don't wish to disrespect so it's um sure. it's a challenge but I think we all just desperately, desperately need this sound of silence to stop. Yes, please. Um, I was curious when I looked at your schedule from flying into the United States and flying back out, since mm -hmm. I'm not allowed with my U.S. passport, I am assuming that your passport is not a U.S. one. So that means you are allowed to fly back into Germany for your upcoming fall performances and then back in if, if ASO is happening too? Is that something you're allowed to do? Uh, I'll, I'll call you from the airport, Gary, and let you know <laughs> whether they'll let me in or not. I mean, it, it's really genuinely uh, uh, a, an issue for us because I have a, okay, I'll give it away. I'm from Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm -hmm. Sandra knows. Really? Because, yeah, really? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh wait! I have something here. Have... Oh my goodness! What do you What do you have? Another bottle of scotch. Oh, I, I, yeah, I was almost right. Yeah, there you go. Can you see that? 
That was from this last summer. Last summer. Yep. I still have it. I'll hold it very deep. And it, and it is it. still full, by the way. Okay. I, I think you Good have, on you. Well done. I think you have tchotchkes from every show you do. Like, Thank yeah, you. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. You're from Edinburgh, shock of all shots. <laughs> shock of all shots. I'm from Edinburgh, from uh, Aldriki. So, I mean, I have a British passport. Okay. Uh, so that should, and I have a, also a German Aufenthaltserlaubnis. It's mm -hmm. a, a right to work. So, but we, we were looking at this situation because uh, as it now looks, we would have to, within 48 hours of traveling back to Germany, have to have taken a test, which of course should be negative. Otherwise, we would have to arrive there and go into uh, voluntary isolation for two weeks, okay. which we, on many levels, can't afford to do. So, right. so I mean, that's the situation. We can actually get back. You can. Uh, into Germany. But it's an extraordinary situation, Kerry, I mean, when you think as a, an American citizen, you, at the moment. Nothing. Uh, do it. No, thank you. Stay away. Yeah. I, I don't blame them. I would say the same thing, to be quite honest. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want what I am seeing happening downtown Nashville to go over to another country who has things that are contained, the numbers are lower. I mean, I, I don't blame them, to be quite honest. I'd, I'd say don't come here too, so. I know. Why, why do you think, is, is this really all, uh, don't want this to get too political. No, uh, well, listen, it's an edited but, show, so. <laughs> oh, I see. No, but I, has this really just to do with the First Amendment? Has this just to do with the, the people showing their right to do whatever they want that nobody can tell them what to do? Is that the reason? Because it's, it's just, as I'm sure for both of you, for us, for so many people, it's, it's suicidal. And th this is not about a political affiliation. This is to do with life. <laughs> okay, it's a binary decision, but it's not Democrat and Republican. It's life or death. And I just... But it hasn't been put that way in our country. And it, it turned into a political thing. It turned into, I live in the South, so it's also a religious issue um, because those two have, have become intertwined in the last however many years. So it's a stance not to wear a mask on many different levels. And, um, and I think because at the very, I mean, he, President Trump just now got on national television yesterday and said that you should wear a mask. And, uh, it's something that should have happened four months ago when he shut everything down in March. And um, so in my opinion, it's on, it's more than just the first amendment. Um, there are, it's a lot, a lot, it's a lot of stuff going on in this country. And yeah. um, so yeah. it's heartbreaking because how many more people have to die? How many more have to, people yeah. have to be intubated before um, these, in a lighter word, shenanigans, I mean, they, it just needs to stop. We all need to get back to work. And if wearing a mask, uh, enables us to do that. And I mean, even just shopkeepers, bartenders, whatever, um, just put on a damn mask so we can go back to work. And I think that's becoming more and more an accepted thing. I do see the changes happening here. They're just very slow, so. It's required here. You have to wear a mask here. If you go into a store, into a restaurant, the only place you don't have to wear it is outside in a cafe. Um, but it's a $5. Side, I love I didn't make fun of your accent, now did I? <laughs> no, I just couldn't resist it. Forgive me. Oh, oh, is that better? Is that better? Oh, oh, no, boot. 
Well, it reminds me all of a sudden of Pier 49 in San Francisco, just, uh, <laughs> where, where there are a lot of very large sea creatures, but no, 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 I'm just Large kidding. sea creatures. Aww, awesome. I should tell you my moose call. Should I, should I make you laugh? Should I make you and Carrie laugh? So when I first moved to Canada, my husband and I, when we bought our house, I'm sorry, house, is that better than that house? House. We were driving from LA to Ontario and in between there, you know, there's a very flat area just north of where you are in Canada. And so I said to Duncan, I've never seen a moose. I want to see a moose. I want to see a moose. And he said, well, you have to do the moose call. And I said, wait, there's a moose call. He said, yeah. Ready for it? <laughs> and I fell for it. A climb and sinker. So. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do that again. Would you do that again? <laughs> you want me to look stupid. <laughs> Would you keep doing that? Oh no, you're going to take a video of it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to take a video of it. Oh yeah? Um, no, I'm not going to take a video of it. Is it going to call them? Is it? Are the moose yeah, going to come if I keep doing it? Would, would, you would you try to get, yeah, keep, keep at it. <laughs> you did say you were going to edit this show anyway, didn't you? Yes, yes we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Huge, huge edit at this moment. <laughs> Gary Alcoba, please remember that. <gasps> oh my God. Oh wow. Oh, there's two of them. <gasps> is, that, is that where you live? In your yard? Yeah. This is quite literally... 10 feet away, behind us. Do they do damage, like, can, or can they hurt you? They no, but they do amazing tap dancing. <laughs> they can hurt a car. I want oh, that, they, that's amazing. They, they, they can hurt, yeah, that's the baby. That's the full. Oh, wow, that's cool. Thank you, well, see, look at I made them come. You said, I was, that's amazing. Don't edit that out. No, well, we, we had one. <laughs> we had one come right across the highway with the big antlers, you know, and, and it was like, okay, I just saw a moose. I'm scared to death now. <laughs> Go! They're well, they, they, you know, like so many of these animals, they will never bother you unless you bother them or you come between them and their babies. And But you have, they, they call them here moose jams because there are just people who are driving along, they see a moose, and every rule of driving is all of a sudden, <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, <laughs> see, now, now you know and, how to call and them. They, <laughs> and they just stop. And then everybody knows that when you see six or eight pairs of brake lights. Yeah. Oh my God. So they all leap and out and there's an inevitably a, a moose and and then the wardens have to come and move move people on otherwise you know nobody gets through oh, Duncan told me the plural of moose was meese too and i wasn't blonde back then yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know meese. it's that horrible meese i know i you know, I, I, I learned to i learned a really completely useless word the other day i was just on some word website dictionary.com and do you know what the, 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 do you know what the plural of beef is? Beef? Beefs? Oh, I love Beeps. a beef right now. We're like, what? what? Beef? Beef? 
<laughs> what is it? It's Beeves. B-E-E-V-E-S. Because once upon a time, a beef was also uh, a beef. another way of describing a cow. And uh, it's just one of those really, as I say, it's hardly something that you're going to impress your friends with anytime soon. Well, you could, and then they just look at you and go, boo, 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 boo. Exactly. Beeves. Beeves. <laughs> good dear. That's a okay. good trivia drinking. I like that. Yeah. You like that? Okay, mm -hmm. let's be serious for a minute. Should we be serious? How, how did you become a conductor? Coming from Edinburgh. Oh, gosh, this is really serious. I know. I want to know. I never asked you. Oh. Well, I, could, I could talk about your curtain call at the Deutsche Oper. Oh, <laughs> That's enough of me talking about myself. Why don't you talk about me? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, born and bred in Edinburgh, my father was an organist and choir master, so I sang in the choir as a choir boy, and was enormously enamored, enormously inspired by my father and what he did with all these disparate voices. Uh, at the same time, I was learning piano. At the same time, I had just received my first LPs. Not sure people listening will know what an LP is. Uh, and that was all about classical music, that was all about orchestral music, that was all about Richard Wagner. And that's when I thought at school, uh, one day I perhaps would perhaps also like to see what it feels like to do what my father does. And I was given an opportunity as a young boy to um, basically, uh, well, conduct a small group of uh, my colleagues, my friends at school. I was 15 or 16, um, to go into a, an old people's home and just do a little medley. And I enjoyed it so much, and they seemed to think I had some talent. And we formed out of this a youth orchestra, which became bigger and bigger. So I really had what most young conductors salivate over, having something to practice on, mm. an orchestra. And with that, you know, at the same time, I was working on my piano, I was getting into opera. And it all really just came together, sort of this confluence of events uh, in 71, 1971, bless you dear. 1971, there was a performance of uh, Wagner's Ring. And I went to that performance and the rest is history. And that's when I, that's when I decided it's opera, it's orchestral, it's becoming a conductor, becoming a repetiteur. That's right. And then I went to Germany when I was a young man uh, and learned the trade of, you know, this very well-trodden, storied trail <laughs> up the mountain uh, as, a, as a young conductor. So that's basically in a nutshell. I, I read an interview that you did um, that fascinated me because it, it said that you were really, it's really important to you to have a connection with the orchestra, that you, you wanna know these people in, in the sense that you wanna all make music together. I hope I paraphrase that, that correctly. Um, and as a, I was an instrumentalist since I was a little kid, I played French horn all the way up to college um, and then became an opera singer and couldn't do both at university. But there is something that I have found, not only being an instrumentalist, but being a, an opera singer, how important that connection is because we feel it as an instrumentalist, as a singer on stage. There's something quite magical that happens when the person who is in charge, who's running this ship, 
um, is really invested in what they're doing and what they're playing. And um, I just wanted to ask you about that, why that is, from your words, not mine, why that is important to you. And is, is that something you've always searched for in the jobs that you've taken? I think you just put it very eloquently, Carrie. I, th I think I just did say yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think particularly as a conductor, besides the groans and the grunts that Sondra knows so well standing two feet away from me <laughs> during performance. Otherwise, I, I make no sound. Otherwise, I'm completely and utterly dependent on everybody else to give of their best. I can't obviously know each and every person in terms of how, how has their day been, but I do think in the hours together where we get to make music, uh, it is absolutely vital that I make them feel good about themselves, um, uh, give them the genuine or issue the genuine invitation to give of their best uh, and and just um, through well I think at the at the at the core of all great music making there is the word trust mm -hmm. and for me trust is an absolute two-way street if the musicians trust me then in some ways they will just go that extra mile they will they will they will follow it's but not follow in the sense of somebody's dictating it mm -hmm. um, conversely uh, if I trust them, then I don't feel as if I have to dictate anything because I know they're giving of their best and they each and every one of them should feel like a soloist mm -hmm. and they have something to say through mm -hmm. their music. Each and every one of us has become a musician because our voice is our music wow. and we have something to say about all the great questions in life through our music. <laughs> and that is true from everybody and therefore, in answer to your question, I I do have to sense that it's, it's almost... Uh, I'd be interested, Sandra, what you feel, because when we've worked together, but it's almost a spiritual connection. It's almost a feeling of, in that moment, you know, our, our entire world exists through vibrations. And when all those vibrations kind of line up, yeah, yeah. Uh, when musicians and conductors and singers and instrumentalists all feel in that moment that there's, they're in the zone, yes. that's only because there's mutual trust, mutual respect, and ultimately, the humility of uh, giving of your giving of your best. Yeah, I would I would say that, and and you allow us as a musician to to be free in the moment. I think you you are very definite in in your wants and needs musically, and all of that when we're rehearsing. But then when we come to performance, there is a freedom because of that trust and that we feel like you are supporting us because you set up that, I don't know, leading up to it, we, it was all set up perfectly and that every T was crossed and every I was dotted. And I don't feel like when I was rehearsing with you that there was ever a moment, ooh, what is he gonna do there? I don't know what he's gonna do. You were very clear, you were very definite in setting up the rehearsal Therefore, when it came to making the music, it could breathe. Mm -hmm. 
and it could be given that organic feeling. And I felt that there was always though that connection, that energy flowing between you and me on stage, even if I wasn't looking at you, you were, you were there, you were focused and that, and you were breathing with me. And that to me is the sign of an excellent conductor that you take that breath with me and you allow me to breathe because a lot of conductors just plow through things and they don't allow us to be humans and every day is different. And maybe today, <laughs> like you said, we're all human beings and today you might've had a bad day or I might've had a bad day and you compensate for that. And I really appreciated that and loved that about working with you and really truly highlight of my career was that mental must go. Mind blowing. And the whole orchestra felt it too, not just me. And the whole audience felt it. Love that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm humbled, uh, Sandra. It's I do absolutely agree with you. I think rehearsals are there to set the parameters of. That's just, the word. Thank um, you. Yes. The the room within which we can all move with it with it feeling not only organic but but spontaneous. But that is only possible if there is that trust. That's only possible. And I say this as if this should be an attribute. For me, it's a sine qua non. As a conductor, you have to be able to breathe with singers. And I'm not talking about just working with singers. I'm talking about working with a tubist or working with a violinist or, you know, working with any. With a, I was a French horn player too, Kerry. Oh, cool. I learned the French horn. I had a phenomenal teacher in Edinburgh. Um, who brought me on very quickly. The reason I learned it was not only because some of the best music is written for the French horn, Richard Strauss, Richard Wagner, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, it was for me to uh, experience in an orchestra what it feels like to be conducted. And what are those things that I, as a musician, am looking for from a conductor? It was also to learn about intonation, to be a second horn, to be a first horn, to be a yeah. fourth horn you know, the whole, the whole um, ultimately pragmatic, the <laughs> art, pragmatic art of intonation. Yeah. And, uh, but at the bottom, at the lowest common denominator, if you like, uh, or the highest <laughs> is, is breathing. Uh, why does it, why is it, why is an audience, why do we say it, it took my breath away? Because right. in that moment, uh, in a very organic way, an audience was expecting they were breathing mm -hmm. and something happened where they all of a sudden they thought they were exhaling and all of a sudden they were inhaling. Yeah. Right. That's what makes an exciting, riveting performance. So it's, it, it has all to do with the human breath. I and agree. I think that, that and that, that's why I think, yes, uh, sort of coming back to your question, Carrie, about do I actually seek this out or when I work with certain, why do I work with certain orchestras and not work with others? Happily, it's happened very rarely in my career that I've, I've felt that I have nothing to offer or that somehow the orchestra is breathing differently or they're used to something, they're used to a different music director, so they're used to a far more hands-on, slightly dictatorial, leave the music making up to me approach. Wow. Okay. Um, but no, I, I no, ultimately, uh, I, I have such reverence and, and such awe over ladies and anybody standing up on that stage uh, who are so good at their art. I mean, 
uh, I don't know how you do what you do. I genuinely don't know how, I mean, I know how you do it, mm -hmm. but to have all that it takes, not just the voice, not just the stature, but also just in that moment, the ego in a good sense to stand up and nobody else can sing it like this or nobody else can play it, play it like that. Mm -hmm. It's that admiration, which is, it's not, it's not just wanting to be popular with other artists. It's because I have a genuine, uh, such admiration for people who, who do what they do so well. I'm and you, you have to memorize it all. And you have also have to bump into your colleagues or not bump into your colleagues or yeah. have bump, colleagues bump into you and you still have to remember the you know their you had four hours their, to put something on and their colleagues forget their words in the middle of a show and you just go uh oh <laughs> or there's yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's usually here comes another one no, oh. <laughs> no but it's true do, do you breathe differently with orchestras for orchestral music as opposed to opera music or do you think it's the same yeah god bless you you are amazing. No, it's all about being amazing. I think there's this, I think, but I, I think that's one of the saddest, saddest things about in, 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 in America, there's this artificial divide, this continental divide between opera and symphonic. Operatic mm -hmm. conductors very rarely conduct symphonies or vice versa. Um, as if really they are two different, as if they're two disciplines, which is, Outrageous. It's utterly outrageous. They are exactly the same. They just manifest themselves differently. Right. But at the core of great symphonic playing, conducting, interpretation is the human voice. Every, which, which great pianist was it? I want to say it was Arthur Schnabel who, who was asked by somebody uh, when you're approaching a new Chopin, Polonaise, or Mazurka, you know, what, what, how do you approach that music? And he said, well, first of all, I imagine how would the greatest singer in the world phrase something? Mm -hmm. And I try to then recreate that at the piano. Wow. I rest my case. You know, it's for an American singer, it's extremely difficult if you are known as an opera singer to actually, I mean, I'm, we're not talking Sondra level, a couple levels underneath her, but it's really difficult if you're known as an opera singer to actually break into the symphony world and sing concerts with symphonies. It feels like, and we singers have talked about this, that we end up in these camps of one or the other. Uh, uh, you're absolutely right. I, uh, I, it's, it's, it's almost born of ignorance that, that uh, this, this divide between uh, if you sing symphonic, you don't sing opera or, yeah. or the other way around. Having said that, I mean, there are certainly voices, certain voices absolutely. that are far, far more comfortable in in the symphonic repertoire, perhaps uh, as and but you know there's, some people don't have operatic voices or don't right. necessarily have large voices that will carry or that will project. But I, I think those are are more exceptions. When you look back at the Schwarzkopf's and mm. you know you look back at Hans Hotter, you look back at the Fischer Diska. Fischer Diska spent right. as much time uh, singing in the symphonic repertoire as he did singing Posa and Don Carlo. Right. And so I think, I think it's, I think that's more of an American phenomenon. I know. I it's a very sad one and I, I feel for those who feel as if they've been straight jacketed for, for no fault of their own. Mm -hmm.
So in your opinion, what makes, what makes for a good singer? What makes for the singer that you would want to work with when you say, oh my gosh, I have to work with this person? What are the qualities, the attributes? Just for the young artist out there so we can teach them. Oh gosh, no pressure. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> I could do the moose call again. <laughs> oh. so I, I would say that the, I assume that somebody has a really good technique. I'm not a singing teacher. I'm a vocal coach and then when I'm working with any singer, I'm, I'm talking more about interpretative things. Mm -hmm. So assuming a, a young singer um, has a good technique or a solid technique, I, I think, and this is something I've, I've experienced far more in this country than for instance in Europe. Uh, I think a, 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 a fine young singer needs a, a, a very, very solid basis in knowing how an orchestra works um, in, to the extent that they have a rudimentary ability at the piano, that they can coach themselves just as they call it, note bashing. Mm -hmm. um, that they, and I, I say that a knowledge of the orchestra, but a knowledge of the orchestra in as far as, as a singer, you need to know why you need to sing ahead of the beat depending on your distance from the conductor. You know, in, in opera as opposed to symphonically, and it's, sometimes it's very interesting, you put it, I'm sure you've experienced this, Sandra, you put an operatic singer in front of the orchestra doing something symphonic, and they're invariably, for the first 20 minutes, miles ahead of you. <laughs> because you are, you are so, um, I'm not talking about you specifically, but- I'm a know, schlepper, you, I'm a total schlepper, so just- <laughs> um, but this, no, you're not. Anyway, the point is, I think that therefore, as encyclopedic a knowledge as one, as a young singer can have about why stringed instruments react to a beat in a certain way of a conductor, as opposed to percussive instruments that are, you know, on the, on the nose. Mm -hmm. um, a knowledge of harmony. And I don't, I don't wish this to be intimidating, but I think a knowledge of harmony in, in that you, have a visceral thrill when you sense a dissonance, when you play a dissonance or mm -hmm. sing a dissonance. Mm -hmm. And the dissonance implies a consonance. And, and therein is this uh, visceral feeling of a little struggle. And you then take that to whatever vocal line you're singing and you personalize it in, the, in the, that all of a sudden it's not just about a, a series of notes. It's, it's like, it's like, a surfer it's like you know feeling yeah play with feeling, it your own play with, exactly and and that's why i think it's not just about vocal knowledge or vocal technique it's knowing what a great violinist does it's knowing uh, working with conductors at the keyboard uh, but i mean that that's also getting ahead of myself i, th I think that f and what i wanted to say is that I think through the, the schools, through Curtis, through Juilliard, through San Francisco, through many of these great colleges, uh, that basic knowledge, that general knowledge of music mm -hmm. uh, is so much more emphasized than in Europe. Uh, you know, in Europe, in Europe I, I remember encountering singers, um, solos, solos, soloists, really very good ones. And I asked them, they were still at college. And I said, do you go to choir? And they would throw up their hand. Choir, choir. I'm a solo. 
oh, I know, as if, as if the worst possible thing you could do would be to ask a singer to join a choir when we know, and the best in the profession know that it's singing with other people that you begin to understand so much more, coming back to the point, Carrie, with being part of a horn section. What is intonation? Yeah. What is right, what is wrong? Well, we know there isn't a right and there isn't a wrong, but singing with other people, breathing together, yeah. is all integral to becoming a great artist. And so I, and that's, that's what I would say to those young artists out there. And language not in order to intimidate them, but to inspire them to, you know, go and go and buy, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Max Rudolph, the, uh, what's the name of the, what's it called of conducting? The Grammar of Conducting, yes. Great. Just go and get that book or reference it online. It gives you some really fascinating insights into what a conductor has to do to learn his trade. Okay. And, and so, you know, just, just, just. You can Google anything, for goodness sake. <laughs> just, just inform yourself uh, of all of those basic things that when you're standing for or sitting for 40 minutes and then you get to stand up and sing uh, the second last movement in Mahler's second symphony, yeah. that you're not just sitting there, oh, gosh, this is going on a long right. time but absorbing everything that's going yeah. on around you, taking all these musical strands and then making it the most inevitable thing in the world when you stand up and you sing about the rose, you know? Yeah. Okay. I feel oh. like, I feel like in those moments you're, when you're not singing, your seat should be vibrating with what's happening all around you. I mean, it's just so, it's one of the most amazing, amazing things to do, especially for someone like me who primarily does opera when I get the rare chance to sing, uh, a symphonic work is to just sit there and actually be able to encompass all of that sound around you. So it's really, it's an amazing thing. So yeah. Soon. We'll get to do it again soon. I know. Oh, please God. Yeah. How, how did you come to love? I know that I know the moose. Yeah. Was there a moose? I was actually looking up this time. Is oh, there okay. anybody listening out there? Oh, no, please. Right, go, on, go on, Sandra. No. I know you said you said earlier when you were in Edinburgh that you listened to recordings of Wagner. Mm -hmm. Is that where that love of, of Wagnerian and Germanic music came from or because you were in Germany or was it just something in your soul? You know, I've asked that same question all my life and I, I still haven't, I don't really want to know the answer. I feel that something, there's something about not knowing the mystery of why it is still keeps it so mysterious and miraculous for me as opposed to, oh, I know no one, you know, I have the answer. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's all of the above, Sandra. I think, now I'm going to say something that it's a sort of uh, a classic platitude, but um, I'm not so sure I sought out Wagner. I feel as if Wagner sought out me. I, uh, I feel as if this profession wanted me for some reason. And, and then that, that first visit in 1971 uh, to hear the um something happened in me that I, I have no idea. I've often told this story. I don't know if you remember the films, one of Steven Spielberg's first films called Pol Poltergeist. Poltergeist, oh yeah. And you, the image of that little girl and parents are, are long, you know, they're, they're sawing logs 
and it was at a time when there, were, there was an end of TV programs. Mm-hmm. And you got this white noise, and she was still sitting in front of the, the television, seat, yeah, television screen. And then out of this, you began to discern voices, and you discern things far more solid. And then she leant a little closer, and then this hand emerges from the screen. You remember that image and grabs her and sort of draws her in. Mm-hmm. And that for me is analogous to somehow sitting, listening to that Wagner in 1971. Some hand emerged from that orchestra pit, took me by the throat, and it hasn't let go of me ever since. That's awesome. <laughs> God. That's how I feel about Italian music, especially like Verdi. I feel that that we all three of us have been given a gift. And I think that it's our duty to to pursue that gift and to follow that gift in our life. And and for me, it it honestly, I say that Verdi comes down and talks to me in the middle of the night, but he whispers in my ear and says, Sandra, you know, sing that a little softer. But honestly, it's it's like my air. I, if I didn't have Italian music, I, I don't know what I'd do. And that's, it's just in my soul. And that's what I always tell people. And I, I can't explain it any other way either. It's just, it's so a part of, it's ingrained in who I am now. So, you know, yeah. I think that's beautiful the way you explain that, Sandra. And <clears throat> I'm just reminded now of, of uh, one of our orchestra committee members at the Deutsche Oper Berlin, um, who a few weeks ago, while I was still in Berlin, uh, after was wanting to give up the whole being part of an orchestra committee and, and speaking on behalf of the orchestra and all the, the, the chore. And of course, they had a lot to do. Deutsche Oper has, <clears throat> well, if you know the Met, then it's not quite like that. But we have upwards of 35 different titles per season. So there's a great, great deal of work to be done. And uh, she was thinking, oh, I've been doing this long enough and I'm just, I'm just kind of exhausted and this, that and the other. And weeks into the, the lockdown, weeks into the, the COVID shutdown, <clears throat> I met her, we were still meeting on a regular basis to talk about a variety of things, not least, um, what do we do? Any, any ideas about chamber music? What can we be doing that is virtual? And I remember she she mentioned to me uh, that she had decided uh, to stay in the orchestra committee because these weeks of silence, these weeks of, and thinking about what you're you're saying, Sandra, these weeks of not doing what she had on some level completely taken for granted, not doing that, she felt as if she was renewing her vows. (laughs) (laughs) She felt as if, oh, I miss my music so much and I miss being there on behalf of my colleagues to give us even a better chance to make music together. And so she is now a a gung-ho about becoming, remaining on the orchestra committee. And I think this is what we were all at, at the moment experiencing. We all wanted to end. Please let this end soon in a safe way. But I think we're all just reminded of how lucky we are and of what, how we express ourselves, where our true voice lies. Yeah. Whether it's a singer, whether it's an instrumentalist, whether it's a conductor, whether it's a composer. Um, and I don't think we'll ever take for granted what we're doing ever again. No, I know I needed it. 
I, I needed, and I think Carrie and I, we've both come full circle. We both didn't sing for a good couple of months just because our souls were so empty and hurting hurt. It was painful. It was painful to sing opera. It was like, I'd, I'd start doing it and it just was a meltdown because it was the question of nobody knew anything. And it's what I just did at the Kennedy center. The last time I'm actually going to do what I love to do. Nobody had any answers. I still feel like we don't, we don't know the safety and all of that stuff, but, um, and that's why in a way Sandra and I started this because there's also not only making music, but it's the community of people. It's yeah. that connection to all of us that love to express ourselves in a certain way that I really missed these conversations and yeah. um, talking to one another and finding out how you're doing. And so um, on a- It's been full circle for me. Yeah. I feel now I was so burnt out right before this started because last year was a stressful time with family and just, four new roles and going, going, going. And it was like, I was on this little hamster, you know, going around, but it was good for me now. And I feel like I've come back to the, my passion is even more now to do it. I love it. I realized that I loved it and I needed to stop and reassess and say, yeah, I do want to keep doing this. And it is my passion. And I think we all have moments in our lives where we question what we're doing and is it, is it important and should I keep doing it? Mm -hmm. And I think that if we try to focus on the positives of this time, yes, I know people have died and, I, and it is a horrible pandemic. But on a musical level, I think a lot of us artists now are feeling more inspired because of it. And I don't, I don't know if you are as well. I'm... I think what in, what inspires me is the fact that, and this is why I think we have the best profession in the world, even in such circumstances, that music has never been a career for me. Music has never been a job for me. Music is my hobby. It's my profession. It's my passion. It's just all encompassing. But I do think, I think, and what I'm being inspired by now is, is my need. Uh, sorry, that sounds a little immodest or a little pretentious. No. But, you know, I'm inspired to, um, to reach out again. And I, 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 I mean, I, I was interested in what, what you mentioned, Kerry, to the effect that uh, you as musicians, my wife is now staring through my just specially set up for today. Are you going to come say hi? Yeah. This is like Stephen Colbert always turning around to his right. <laughs> midget of a wife. Yeah, you don't know Adele. We went to school together at USC. Come and sit. Hi. He's an amazing repetitor and pianist and wonderful coach. How are you? Hi. I'm well. How are you? Yeah. You know. Oh, you ladies are all made up and dolled up. I'm totally. Oh, come on. You are cool. Oh, it's okay. gorgeous. Well, thanks. Yeah, this is this is my music room, and and Carrie's in Nashville, so okay, and just just out of shot are two bottles. Bottles. Two bottles of really very very liquid gold. That and then I, and then I might have a beer in in honor of Mr. Renickel's beer to stage right, please, or what is no stage <laughs> left? It was right. You're gonna get the man fired, Carol. <laughs> You're gonna edit that. Fired as a page call. <laughs> You're gonna edit that one out. Yes, I am. 
see you. Uh, Bye. Nice to meet you. What I was going to say, Kerry, was the, the uh, I, I think, first of all, I think it's absolutely terrific what you're both doing. And, and this, this kind of conversation. Uh, that so often the... <laughs> I, I, I now know why it's so hard for Stephen Colbert to keep a straight face when he's having this. Is she doing his right going. No, she's just put on her moose head. Just. Oh. Just. <laughs> Love her. Uh, no, no. What I was going to say is that you're finding out how people are doing. How how are we all coping? I don't think it's being uh, impudent to say that. Many of us are experience, have experienced in the past conversations in the canteen or during rehearsal, you know, how are you? And it's usually a litany of, here's my chance. Here's my chance to network and tell you, well, right. next week I'm in Boston. And, you know, and there are many right. jokes about that. Um, that it's, it's sort of seeking every conversation as a, as, as a form of self-promotion. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is an incredible, monumental reset button. <laughs> for all of us to just be so grateful for, even as we're not singing, even as we're not performing, to have been, to your point, Sandra, to have been given this gift. Yeah. Uh, is that when we are talking to one another, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter what you're doing in three weeks, or when you're speaking to other people, it's more important now to, how are we all doing? How are you doing as a, as a human yeah. being? Because many of our colleagues we do, we still don't know many of our colleagues may have been infected by this virus and, and uh there's something even more important uh, than uh than our art and that's our love of our fellow human being I, I think that i think that's something that if we can take something away from this i think that would be for me the the, the salient salient yes. uh, um issue not what are you doing, but how are you doing it? Yeah. And also, it sometimes can be a job. And I think we have to, like you said, that monumental reset. I needed it. And I know a lot of my fellow colleagues needed that monumental wow. reset. Um, but I'm kind of ready for that. Like, we've pressed that reset button. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get back to work. I need to be around my people. <laughs> I miss, I miss yeah. all of you. I miss it. Yeah, I know. Well, we should we should let you go. I know you have family there, but do you do you wait one one more question if I can? Sure. Oh. Carrie has what? Go ahead, Carrie. What? Do you wear, what's worn underneath the kilt, Maestro? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's worn, madam. Everything's in perfect working order. <laughs> <laughs> I love that accent. It's so good. What were you going to ask? Is that what you were going to ask? Because I would feel no, not about the kilt. Sure but I've always wanted to know that, so I'm really happy that we I had knew that discussion. Um, I just had a question to go back to the um, parking lot Berlin performance. I mean, what was it like rehearsing, and where were you able to rehearse somewhere? Did you have to rehearse in the parking lot because it was outside? I just was curious about that. Uh, we had to rehearse outside because yes, uh, we, it, the only performances that, that were permitted in Germany or certainly in Berlin at that time were outdoor performances. Nothing okay. could be done in, inside. And uh, we, we didn't have many rehearsals because we had to, I mean, we were basically given per permission to do this 
because of a, a certain mitigation of the situation uh, in Berlin, we were given permission on May the 29th. Whoa. And on June the, I want to say the 14th, we had to have the show up and running because that would have been our original Das Rheingold premiere. And we wanted the okay. symbolic uh, nature of the day uh, not to go unnoticed. And uh, so we met for the very first time with the 22 musicians, all with their meter and a half, sitting mm -hmm. apart from one another. And we had absolutely no idea what this was going to sound like. Yeah. Um, so we did... We had done a sound test a few days earlier with uh, with this um, stage being built out over part of the, the park garage. Uh, and the singers, um, because this is a quadrangle, so you have you know, the, the rest of the opera built around it. Mm -hmm. And therefore the acoustic was unbelievable for the singers. So they needed no amplification at Whoa. all. Okay. And of course it was very immediate for the audience who were nevertheless sitting socially distanced mm -hmm. uh anyway i needed to know what it would sound like what is this going to sound like the orchestra so i said you know how this work starts uh, i'm going to go down into the the lower area and by this time the entire administrative staff of the, of the opera had assembled because this was just this we, we hadn't this was a uh, june the 5th or june the 6th and we had been closed since the middle of march Okay. This was the first music anybody was hearing. So I came down, and as you, both of you, I'm sure, know how, how the Rheingold begins with that low E flat, and then the, and everything joins in. So I came down, and I, th I think that will go down in my top 10 uh, moments in my life where I was moved beyond words. And I looked around colleagues and, you know, some of the, the people I'd only known behind a computer screen or known in meetings they, and they were crunching numbers, tears were streaming down their faces, streaming down their faces. And it was just because the music had bypassed the head and gone straight for the heart. And they were just reminded of, oh, my God, that's why I do this. Yeah. And so they, it was very hard for me then to go back, quite frankly, and start conducting the rehearsal, <laughs> and start rehearsing. Yeah. because it, it's so many moments I could see the musicians themselves just just mm -hmm. choking up. And so, in answer to your question, that that was the that was the feeling, and and what I should say, the sound was miraculous from the orchestra, and that is a pure fluke because of this wow. roof over it, because it's. Um, walls around it to support the heavy pieces of scenery that are mm -hmm. otherwise stored there. Um, so we, and with the, um, the, the orchestras was, uh, this, is, this would be a sort of John Adams uh, description. There was a, a sound enhancement. We just boosted the sound of the orchestra a little because we were behind the singers. Right. I, was singing, I was singing, I do sing. It's horrible. Uh, I, my back was to the singers. Okay. Um, but it was just, in, I say miraculous. The sound was incredible, and I, I was unaware of this. But Adele told me just just about four or five days ago, uh, New York Times uh, had written a, uh, an article about this yeah. very performance, and they'd seen a few things. And that we did six performances of it, 
uh, it's a little shorter than the, the normal one and they were sold out in 10 minutes. So yeah, amazing. We, I, I go back in, in um, August and do a few more of these shows. And meanwhile, uh, we're all eyes or all ears on Salzburg because as you know, or probably know in one week's time, yeah. Electra, which is not known as a chamber opera, uh, Electra opens at the Salzburg Festival, and therefore we will find out that may be just the beacon we need, just yeah. that beacon of light. And uh, Madrid's I, been okay with their Traviata so far. Where? Madrid. Really? It's a semi-staged, but still there are full orchestra, full choir, full singers, just mm -hmm. socially distanced, and so far it's been okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's well, I, I hope I get to work with you, Carrie, Sandra. I hope so too. And wherever, uh, I don't care, as long as we get to make music together yeah, absolutely. again. Absolutely. So do you have a few moments for a few rapid fire questions? Yeah. They're not embarrassing, I promise. No, no, okay, rapid fire. Gosh, now ah. this is where I need my drink. Yes. Yeah. It, it's like a, a doubt. Rapid fire. Best piece of advice you were ever given? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I've received so many. Uh, oh, I know. Be a better listener than a talker. Ooh. That was given to me by my father. The Good art job. of listening as opposed to the art of talking. What's your most irrational fear? My most irrational fear is being bitten by a snake. Okay. Ooh, I don't want that. <laughs> it's totally irrational because I think it's very unlikely, of course, if I could organize something that's suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the boa constrictor. Oh, it's my wife again. No, um, that's an incredibly, but I have so many dreams about snakes. It's, I have no idea why. I have to look that up and see what that means. Yeah. What is something you do that embarrasses your kids? Um, every Christmas, I bring out, they're called carolers. They're made in America, these wooden. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, they, and all they can talk about is daddy's dollies. Okay. They call them my dollies. And I say, but they love them too. And That's yeah. cool. You know what? When they grow up, when they get older, they're going to say, I miss daddy's dollies. Yeah, so. I, okay, I ask this of everyone. What is your favorite curse word in any language? My favorite. Do you know, I think my favorite one is, can I say this on NPR? Oh, this is not NPR. Can, <laughs> I, can, I, can I? You can say anything you want. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think my favorite is, shice it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Carrie, what's your favorite curse word? Motherfucker. <laughs> there you go. We or, are not PG rated. Mother, mother. Oh, he's learned half a word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what other profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, good one. Uh, I would like to be a pilot, and I have a large flight simulator done in our lower level. I have one in Berlin, too. And if I'm not conducting, I like a Daniel Harding, although Daniel Harding has gone on to become an Air France pilot. I, my, my father was in the RAF uh, in the Second World War. 
cool. And I love flying. I'm, I'm not clever really enough to do it, but I have this big flight simulator and that, that's what I love to do. That's what I would do if I were, were not um, conducting. That okay. sounds awesome. I want to come over to your house and try that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same kind of thing that it's like a little like conducting it's multitasking it's you have lots of dials yeah well, or lots of lines of music yeah. and you're just you're just basically scanning them all just to make sure everything is in perfect working order okay <laughs> when that's the last one carrie sure okay last question if heaven exists what do you want to hear god say as you walk through the pearly gates <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of a joke but not even on this show will i tell this joke oh come um, on no 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 what would i wish him to say oh i feel as if there must be an incredibly witty response to this hmm. um have to be i'm sorry it doesn't have to be. We've had, we people have run the gauntlet. I thought, I, thought, I thought you just said, I have to pee. And I thought, <laughs> oh. Well, there you go. That's what God, you want him to I have to pee. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Really, I'm downhill quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a bloody long way here. God, it's taking forever. Yeah. I have to pee. There you go. I don't think I can can come up with a better response. And that's now I'm going to get hell to put from Adele, who's off totally. stage left. Yeah. Oh, come on, Adele. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> People will Thank love Thank you. Thank and you hope so much. you in December in Berlin. And good luck with the Will festival. Do. Okay, take care. Stay safe. Ciao. 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 Bye. Like you don't have enough to do right now. Okay. She doesn't have a job. <laughs> oh, excuse oh, me, Chris. Nice. Bite me really hard. Seriously. Turn in the screw. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, that's what Duncan's like. What are you doing? You sit around and eat all bonbons all day. Okay. How many full-time jobs do we have right now, Carrie? Yeah. Made. Lover, <laughs> cook. Oh, I forgot about the maiden lover. Cook, no, not for me. That's oh, screaming divas. She cooked dinner one night. Now all of a sudden, she's the cook. I'm the yeah. Cook. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, wait. I made dinner once. You learned how to use the air fryer. <laughs> I have a question because I said it in the interview, but and I've been in this room many times, your music room, but I never really fully comprehended that. Yeah. All of the tchotchkes in there are from shows. Yep. Every show you have a tchotchke? Pretty much. Um, stolen property of the Metropolitan Opera. This is Queen Elizabeth's ring. Well, and they're, they're going to be looking for that when they do Roberta Devereux again, but. They're coming after you. <laughs> yep, that, and that's why I, that's why I, wait, here we go with, Billy Friedkin, right? He's, this was the lavender that I held when I sang the originally cut aria from Sweat Angelica. What the name of it is, I can't remember now. But um, okay, so can we have a pact right here, and it's on rec a recorded thing? Oh. 
because you know we're both outliving our husbands and, and living in shady pines together yes. so can you just sign all that so when we're in shady pines and we start running out of money we can you're either going to leave it to me if i outlive you so then i can sell it all on ebay <laughs> Like that's, that's, just, like that's my, how I feel. <laughs> I do like my, my headshot, like with me going. Oh yeah. You gotta take some. That's why you a diva star. You gotta take some, you gotta take some. You go like. I can't open my mouth that wide. Yes, you can. You're gonna see my toothless diva. <laughs> that's why you don't want to open your mouth that way. Okay. Bye.